sermon title for today is a question. Anyone home? Before we get into it, let's bow our heads for one more prayer. Dear God, I pray that you will do something special starting in my heart. And bless those that are listening too. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the year was 2006, and I was a sophomore at Southern Adventist University in Tennessee. And I happened to be in the dorm that day, like I was every day, but I was walking in the lobby, and I walked into the dean's office for some reason. And the dean's office had a lot of chairs, had a TV. Our dean was a nice guy to talk to. And as I walked in there, I saw on the TV there was a program that I'd never seen before. It was called The World's Strongest Man. Maybe some of you are familiar with the images of men whose muscles are bigger than our bodies, lifting things that are just incredibly heavy, incredibly big. There's the bus pole, where they literally pull a bus, and whoever can do that fastest gets the most points. There are the, there's the Hercules hold, where they're holding these beams that are on hinges and uh, holding it as long as they can. There's the deadlift, which you see this man doing. There's the car walk, where they get inside of a modified car that has shoulder straps, and they pick it up, and they walk the car. And all of these events earn points, points towards the title of world's strongest man. Of course, the, the premier event that happens at the end is the Atlas Stones, five different stones ranging from around 200 pounds to 352 pounds that they have to pick up and put on top of these pedestals. And the pedestals are of varying heights. Well, this was a new experience for me. And being a young man, I was very interested in this. These guys had muscles in place, uh, yeah, muscles you couldn't dream of having. And I wouldn't want that many muscles, right? <laughs> right, Sarah? No, it's, it's a little overkill. So it was very interesting. But what made the storyline even more interesting was that an American hadn't held the title for 24 years. But here we had Phil Pfister, this big American guy with a massive belly. I guess there's a lot of muscle in there. He didn't look the fittest, but he was one of the fittest. And as the competition went on day after day, he found himself only a half point behind Mariusz Pujanowski, the big, buff-looking Polish lifter that had been the, the def, he was the defending champion from the previous year and had won like three out of the last several years. So it all came down to this moment, to the Atlas Stones at the very end of the event. Two strong men competing for the title of world's strongest man. And just for fun, I, I, I have a little clip here. We're going to watch it. Pudzianowski, shorter and squatter. Does that give him an edge? Young Miguel de Mayborn, face down! Fister goes for the uh, shirt off technique. Take your positions! Both these men very good at this, but uh, if there's one man you'd have to say is the absolute governor at this, it's Pudzianowski. And you see they have to tiptoe over on that slick surface there. Fister's working with him, though. So dynamic, Pudzianowski. He's lighter stones, he's gone ahead. 
nothing between them here. Look at this. They're both to the fifth stone. That time is going to go, surely. Fister's got in front, and he's edged it! The American long wait. Uh, <laughs> hmm. So at the very last moment, Phil Fister, the American, brought back the title to the United States. He had promised five years previously, I'm going to bring it back to America, but each year he fell short. But in this moment, in 2006, he brought pride back to this country. <laughs> Did you know it happened? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave that there. In the end, a strong man was beaten by an even stronger man. A strong man was beaten by who? A stronger man. And Phil Pfister went on to win a couple more times in his next few years. This ties in, believe me, you're going to Remember this. This ties into the passage I want to go to today. Luke chapter 11. So open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. What in the world does any of this have to do with the Bible? You'll soon see, I hope. Luke chapter 11 and looking at verse 14. Luke 11, verse 14, are you there? All right. And as he, Jesus, was casting out a demon, it was mute. Mute means it couldn't what? Couldn't talk, couldn't speak. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. I read one commentator who said, that in those days, they believed, at least some exorcists believed, you had to call the demon out by name. So if you had a, a demon or a person that was mute, and they couldn't say the name of the demon, it was impossible to cast out this demon. And so Jesus doesn't have any problem with this because Jesus doesn't work by those rules. Jesus sees a man, he's mute, can't talk, can't talk because of a demon. Jesus doesn't care about these things. He cast the demon out, and the multitudes marveled. But some, verse 15, of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. This is an interesting name, Beelzebub. There, there isn't quite consensus as to what it means. Some, says, some say that it, it means, or it's relating back to Baal, that this is the transliteration, the, the uh, Greek equivalent of a Hebrew word, Baal, Baal. So Lord, Baal is Lord in the Old Testament. So they're saying that this word, Beelzebub, is the Lord of flies. Or others say it's the Lord of the great house or a heavenly house. Uh, in any case, Beelzebub here is called the ruler of who? Or what? Demons. So in any case, the people are amazed, but some of them say, no, 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 not so fast. Jesus is using the power of the ruler of demons, who we would call Satan. Satan is inside of him, and that's how he's able to cast this demon out of the man. 
Like I said, there were exorcists in the time of Christ, and they used different methods. Some of them relied upon calling upon the names of great people in the past. Others relied upon calling out the name directly of the demon, at least in some form. Others used different um, herbs or potions to try and get the demons out. And Jesus wasn't apparently using any of these methods. And on top of that, the religious leaders were jealous of him. So he's not using the normal methods, and we don't like this guy. Therefore, he must be using Satan to cast out Satan's demons. On the one hand, we have people who are recognizing the work of God, and on the other hand, people whose hearts are becoming more stubborn, refusing to recognize what Jesus is doing here. So we continue. Verse 16, others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. Well, what more do you need? Right? You just have a man who's not able to talk, can't say a word. He has a demon in his life. And Jesus casts out the impossible to cast out demon. And then they say, hey, can you give us a sign? Then we'll really believe that you are from heaven. A person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. You know, I have some friends and some family members who know what the right thing to do is in their life. And nothing that I can say will convince them they have to make the choice in their own life. Am I going to do what I know I need to do? I know that God is real. I know that His way is the best way. But they have to make that choice on their own. How much more did the people need? Yet some people asked for a sign. Verse 17, Jesus knew, his th knew their thoughts. You want a sign? I'll read your mind. Wouldn't that be freaky? You're in the crowd, you're whispering really quietly. And Jesus, who couldn't possibly have heard, said, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house fails. Interesting that Jesus, during the Roman Empire, is talking about a house, a kingdom that's divided that won't be able to stand. Because what was going to happen to Rome years later? Rome's going to be destroyed through division, right? Jesus knew the prophecies of Daniel. A house divided against itself cannot stand. A kingdom divided is brought to desolation. Verse 18, if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? He's saying, guys, it doesn't make sense for me to have Satan inside of me. Why would Satan be casting Satan's demons out? That's, that's uh, counterproductive. Satan should be inviting demons in to people, not casting them out, not making people glorify God. Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. Verse 19, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. There were these exorcists, these Jewish exorcists who claimed to follow God, the God of the Hebrews, and they were claiming it was through God's power that the demons were being cast out. I like how Jesus kind of 
turns these accusations around. <laughs> if you're accusing me, well then what about all your sons that are doing this? Whose power are they using? Surely you must know. Let them tell you. Let them tell you. I like how Jesus doesn't find the need to insult, doesn't find the need to, to lash back, but he uses just good reason, and he uses good logic to respond, to get people to think about what they're really saying. Verse 20, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. If I've got a demon, then your sons have demons, but if I have God and his authority, then you need to listen to what I'm saying. And it's interesting that he uses the metaphor of the finger of God. It's only used about four times in Scripture. You see it in Exodus. You see it in a couple of different places in the Bible. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, hey, casting out demons, demons that can't talk, impossible to cast out demons, that's an easy thing. I can just, God's finger just... You know, if, if there's a stone that you could move with your finger, it's probably not a very big stone, right? It's really easy. Just flick it away with your finger. For God, casting out demons, solving impossible problems is not a hard thing if we let him and his power do the work. When he created this world, the Bible says he spoke and it was done. He just talks things into existence. For God... The powers of darkness that are seeking to control our lives are not difficult to defeat. With a flick of his finger, they're gone. What's more difficult is our will to let his will be done in our life. Because God will not use his brute strength to force us to let him in. And for God, that becomes impossible for people who will not bend, who will not submit. Jesus said, if I'm using God and his power, the finger of God, then you better listen to what I'm saying. You know, if, if this book is real, it makes sense for us to follow all of it, right? I mean, if it's fake, then... You know, at least we get together together on a weekly basis and we enjoy that. We're not harmed by it. But if this thing is real, we need to follow it. I mean, if Jesus is who he said he was, then, then he's the God of the universe and he's sitting on the throne right now. And if he says go, we should go. And if he said stay, we should stay. If you found out something that you were eating on a daily basis, caused 100% certain cancer that couldn't be cured within five years. If you found out that the cornflakes that you like to eat for breakfast guaranteed would cause cancer and you'd die in five years, would you be motivated to keep on eating that same cereal? And I don't have anything against cornflakes, right? Right, if you really believed this is going to kill me, You'd stop if you cared about your life. But why is it sometimes when we approach the Bible, when we approach our faith, it's more like potluck? Oh yeah, I like that. I'm going to have me some of that. 
But that, nah, not so much. I'm going to pass over that. I don't really like that part. If it's true, it's all true. If it's true, it's all important. If Jesus had God in him, he was casting out demons by God, the people had better listen. So he continues. And I love this illustration here. Verse 21. Now we're, now we're tying it into what we saw earlier. When a strong man, what kind of man? Strong, strong man. Fully armed, guards his own place. His goods are in peace. You got a strong man. Can you picture that? Just think about like Frank Herman or someone. <laughs> Frank Herman, guarding his house. Don't have to worry. His goods are in peace. But verse 22, but when a what kind of man? Stronger man comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all of his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. So if you've got a strong person, that's good. You can rest in peace. But when an even stronger person comes, look out. Look out. So Jesus is, is making a very clear connection. There was a strong and powerful demon that was in the man who was mute. But he was cast out. Therefore, Jesus is... He's the stronger man. In fact, we would say he is the strongest man. There are a lot of strong demons in this world. You may have some strong demons in your life, but if you are willing... Jesus can overcome all of them because he is far stronger. With his finger, he can fling them away. Notice it says that he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted. What are you trusting in to protect you? What are you trusting in to guard your life and to keep you secure in life? Many times we have these things taken away from us and it just totally unseats our confidence and our life because we're trusting in things or situations or people primarily instead of putting our first trust in God. Verse 23, He who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters. In the end, Jesus says there are only really two sides people that are with me and people that are against me. People that are with the strongest man and people that are with the weaker man. So who do you want to be with? You know, our daily choices, I think, because I think a lot of us obviously would say, well, duh, we want to be with Jesus, the strongest man. I don't think anyone would raise their hand or have the, you know, no, I want to be with the weaker person. But the reality of our choice, of our uh, declaration right now, is, is made manifest, is shown in our lives as we make our choices day by day. So if you say right now, I want to be with Jesus, the strongest man, then let your little choices day by day show that to be true. Right? Carry it to its logical conclusions. So when you're faced with the choice, in your day, between this and that. And you're tempted to do this, but it doesn't really seem that bad. Who are you choosing to be with if you choose 
what goes against God and His will. Live out your choices. Live out your desires in the small choices. And then we'll finish with the next three verses here. Because Jesus adds on to what he's just said. Verse 24, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finding none, says, I will return to my house from which I came. For some reason, demons like to be in people or in stuff, right? When, when Jesus was casting the thousands of demons out of legion, out of the man, where did they want to go? Into the pigs. They're like, don't just send us out into the abusos, into the abyss. Put us, put us somewhere. I don't fully understand why that is. But, but they like to, to do bad things to living things. They don't want to just be out there by themselves. They want to have a host. They're like viruses. They're like parasites that feed off of the energy, uh, metaphorically, of people. So it says here, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, when somebody has a demon cast out of him, the demon goes around seeking a place to find rest. But if he doesn't find a place, he says, I'm going to go back where I came from. And when he comes to it, verse 25, he finds it swept and put in order and then he goes and he takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. Some pretty powerful and heavy words here. Have you ever, like at the beginning of the year, say in January, decided, I'm going to stop eating junk food, or I'm going to stop doing this or that? So you lay off these habits, but you don't replace them with better habits. And so a week in, a couple weeks in, a few weeks in, because you don't have anything good to replace it with, you find yourself going back to the habit that you started with. You don't have to raise your hands, but maybe you can identify with that. Or you say, you know what? These songs, this music is just it's bringing me down. I'm just going to stop listening to them. But if you're in the habit of listening to music, Pretty soon, it's really difficult if you don't replace the bad with something better, right? Is this making sense? You know, I have trouble with flat spaces in our house, horizontal surfaces, because there's such a thing in this world called paper, and I like to put paper on horizontal surfaces <laughs> and other things that I don't know what to do with in the moment, right? <laughs> on top of our dresser. There's a spot that gets some of my stuff put there. And it's clean right now. But I was thinking, you know what would help me not put stuff there? Is if we had something decorative that was right there, so I couldn't put anything there. You know what I'm saying? So Jesus is saying, if a bad thing is cast out of a person, but they don't replace the bad with the good, the bad is going to come back and it's going to be even worse. Even worse. The last state of the man is worse than the beginning. So how do we prevent ourselves from being filled with darkness? Got to be filled with light. It was read in our call to worship. Just look at that. Verses 34. The, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. 
But when your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. The things we see affect what is in our life. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no dark part, the whole body will be full of light, even or as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. It's kind of like, like a house. Here we've got a house, and it just has how many lights on? Well, at least in one room, right? Is there darkness in this house? Yeah, there's darkness in the house. What do we have to do to make it so that there's no darkness in the house? Got to turn on, make dad upset and turn on all the lights. <laughs> or mom. So we turn on all the lights and then there's no more darkness in the house. A lot of us go through our life and our days and our weeks and we try and keep out the darkness, but we only have the light on in one room. Maybe it's the Sabbath room. One day of the week, I'm going to flip on all the lights, and that's going to carry me through. Devil's not fooled by that. So what do we have to do in our life to go from here to here? We need to turn on the light and keep it on. We need to get connected to the light. Invite Jesus, the light, into our life, not just one day of the week, but every single day. We need to spend time in the light. For some of us, that means we need to spend more time in the Word every single day. We need to spend more time in prayer. We need to, to think about the things and the avenues to our soul and our heart that we allow to be there. Is it bringing in light or is it bringing in darkness? What do you want in your life? Jesus is the strongest man, but he'll only come in through invitation. And Jesus likes to be invited every single day. Sometimes you have to invite him in multiple times a day. Not because he'll leave voluntarily, but because by default we keep, keep kicking him out. Thanks for coming over, Jesus. Okay, I'm done with you now. Right? So what choices can you start making today that will turn your life from this to that? Because I don't know about you, but I don't want darkness in my life. I'm scared of the dark. Are you scared of the dark? I don't want the dark in my life. I want the strongest man in my life. As we get close to wrapping it up here, notice this quote from Desire of Ages. It says, we may leave off many what? Bad habits. You can put your bad habits away for a while. For a time, we might part company with Satan. But without a vital connection, that means a really, really good one. Through the surrender of ourselves to him, how often? Moment by moment, we shall be overcome. If your heart doesn't have this attitude of, I'm with you from the start of my day, Lord, and I want to stick with you all through my day, you're going to be overcome. Without a personal acquaintance with Christ and a continual communion, we are at the mercy of the enemy, who's not very merciful, by the way. And we shall do his bidding in the end. Satan doesn't really care if, it, if he doesn't have all of you right now, as long as he's got a foothold in the door of your life. He always takes us longer than we want to go and further than we want to go.
But there's good news. It doesn't matter how much darkness may be in your life or your family or in your home. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. If you want to be free, the Son can make you free indeed. I'm going to read you a passage here. This is our last verse. And I'm just going to read it to you from Isaiah 49, verse 25. Isaiah 49, verse 25. God made this promise to his people long ago, and I believe it can apply to us too. But thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible will be delivered For I will contend with him who contends with you, and I will save your children. He's speaking here, the captives of the mighty, your people who've been taken away by the mighty people, by the the captors in their lives, they'll be taken away by me. I will get them back. The prey of the terrible, the terrible people that are preying on your life, I can get you back from that. For I will contend with him who contends for you. So is there anybody home in your heart? When the devil comes knocking this week, Jesus should answer the door. Amen? Because if he knocks and nobody answers, he's coming on in, whether the door is locked or not. So who today just wants to say, yes, I want Jesus in my life, in all of my life, and I want him to answer the door. Lord in heaven, we don't want you simply In heaven, we want you in our hearts. So please fill our lives with light. Help us to know what practical decisions this, uh, what this means for us to choose light uh, in our day today, tonight, tomorrow, this week. Show us that we might follow. Thank you for being the strongest. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a happy Sabbath.